The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who's on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Friday. I hope you had a great time defying the tyrants and spending time with your family and friends and anyone else who is thankful to our Creator for His many blessings, including not completely wiping us off the map for the wickedness of our nation. Um... If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, sonsoflibertyradio.com and sonsoflibertymedia.com. If you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, i got a string hanging in my shirt here, <laughs> uh, head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com, scroll right down there on the right side of the page, and you'll see the live version of that. You can click onto it if you'd like and join us on YouTube. We'd appreciate your support there. You can also watch that live video feed on our Twitter account at BradleyDean1, BradleyDean1 on Twitter. Periscope and Twitch are setting brush fires. Our Facebook page is BradleyDeanSOL. You can hop on YouTube directly if you'd like to do that and look for Bradley Dean with two E's, B-R-A-D-L-E-E, Dean, on YouTube. You can catch us there. We're also on the front page of BeforeIt'sNews.com. Before it's news.com and then finally on dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. Happy to have all our friends in the chat room this morning. Great to see you guys. And um, we won't have the phone lines open today, okay? And the reason being is <clears throat> I've got a very special interview that I want to play for you. And I hope I, I checked the sound quality. It was done a little different because we didn't do it here um, at home. Last week I traveled down to Greenville. John Birch Society was having a, a leaders meeting, and my friend Evan Mulch, who we've had on the show before as well, said, hey, you come down here, you know, we'll cover the, the ticket cost, which was rather pricey for, for me. Uh, so me and R.C., uh, my, one of my sons, we went down and uh, spent basically the majority of the day down there, got to do a couple of inter- interviews. One of those was with Trevor Loudon. We're going to try to squeeze that in probably next week. Um, now, <clears throat> like a lot, I like a lot of what Trevor has to say. I like a lot of the things he exposes, um, but we disagree <laughs> on what's going to, but it's an interesting conversation. And I think maybe if nothing else, it helps you, it helps, it will help people to see how people who may have 
some disagreements, although it was kind of strange when I would bring them up, they were really agreements. But uh, I think I think very highly of him as a person. Um, but uh, we'll try to have that in next week. But there was another lady that I was unfamiliar with, and she was a speaker there as well. Her name is Leah Southwell. Um, and she's a wife, she's a mother, she's a homeschool mom. And what happened was, is she's a U.S. citizen. She will tell you her story here, and I'm going to let that play in just a moment. But she's a U.S. citizen, and she took her family, she and her husband took their family, their kids, to Chile. And you go, why in the world are you going there? Well, she's going to tell you. Uh, a lot of it was learning culture, seeing different parts of the world, giving her, you know, learning a, another language and stuff like this. So all the best intentions. And while she's there, she sees going on there what G. Edward Griffin talked about in her interview there uh, the other week. Uh, the Marxist-Leninist doing the peaceful revolution and the violent one. And she saw it, saw it coming to fruition. She'll tell you she saw our own CIA coming in there, putting its nose again in where it didn't belong. And this coming month in December, after she left there, she said in December, Tim, they have led the people to believe that they have a faulty constitution. <clears throat> and those people will be instituting a brand new sinister constitution next month. She came back to the States and she said, I see the same thing going on here in the United States when I came back. So, without further ado, and yes, Joy, I, <laughs> I you should have said I should have took a picture of the feast. Uh, my wife, by the way, just before we start the interview, um, my wife put on a spread. I'm talking about oh, it was it was so much food, and I said, babe, where are we going to put this in the fridge? Because there's, there's a lot of stuff here. We're going to have to send some home with kids and. Uh, ah, it, it was a lot of food, and God has blessed us. Um, we weren't gluttons, um, and I had a little bit of trouble because I just had one of those energy drops. You know, it comes like, uh, and I, I don't like it. I don't feel tired. I just, you lose energy. But it was a great time together. I uh, got to see most of our kids. One was unable to come, but she uh, FaceTimed in from New Germany, and um talked with us for a little bit and, and things. So that was good. I hope you guys, again, took time to thank God for his blessings on you um, because he, he does bless his people, that's for sure. And so um, remember remember that even today, not just every day, but in everything we're to give thanks, right? That's what the Bible tells us. Okay, without any further ado, this is Le my interview with Leah Southwell. I hope you guys enjoy it, and I hope you pay attention because I'm telling you, this was a very enlightening interview from somebody who had been through it. Here it is. Okay, we are here with Leah Southwell, and um, we're doing a little interview here at one of the John Burt Society meetings. And I thought this would be very interesting for our audience to see someone who's come out of an area that is has been engaged in socialism and pretty much full on with commun communism. And we wanted to get her story, so I asked her to join me today. And uh, Leah, happy to have you on the Sons of Liberty. Thank you. 
Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, anytime. And uh, what we want to do is we want you to we want to hear your story. Now you're you're a lady who's from the United States. Yes. And you travel down to Chile. And what led you to do that? And how old were you when you went down there? Yeah. Uh, I long ago was an exchange student to the Netherlands and spent 10 years living in the Netherlands as a very young person. So I originally went over at 16, went back again a second time at 18 and lived there for 10 years. It was the hardest thing I ever did, but also the most character forming. And so when I had my kids, I homeschooled them and I told them as part of their education, they needed to go live in a different country. They need to learn another language. They needed to understand themselves and their own country by being outside looking in. And so I had always instilled that in my sons. And so just eight years ago, uh, the agreement was that if they ever decided to go somewhere, it was their decision when, it was my decision where. So eight years ago, they finally came to the point when they were 18 and 20 that they were ready to do this adventure. And having been a homeschool family, we kind of do everything together. So uh, eight years ago, they said, we're ready, let's do it. And I had spent five years deciding where we would go. So I thought learning Spanish was the most useful language. I narrowed down all the Spanish-speaking countries after five years of studying to one country that was highly recommended by everyone, and that's Chile. And so that was where we decided to go. I had never been there before. We didn't speak Spanish. We didn't know anybody. We had no idea how we were going to support ourselves. And it took us selling everything we owned to have the money to even go there, which only lasted us five months. Wow. So it was for the cause. I call it my final exam for the boys. Could they survive something? If they could survive this, they could survive anything in their future. All right. So you you get you get all the stuff together. You're going down there. You've got uh, what five months worth of, I guess, money that you can use. And you go down here and you set up home. And how are things when you get there? I mean, is there is there a big difference? Is it a huge culture shock or anything like that? No, it was only a big culture shock be only because I'd never lived in a massive, huge city. So the, Santiago is the capital of Chile, and it's a city of 7 million population. So I, I had never lived in a city that big. I'd never lived in an apartment before. And so that was culture shock, to be in a big city with people all around you, to be packed on top of each other in apartments and tiny little apartments that at least that's all we could afford and so that was culture shock and of course not speaking the language is culture shock <laughs> and trying to figure out what you're going to do for work when you don't speak the language that everybody else does there so that part was culture shock but as far as being an advanced city and and country i was shockingly surprised at how modern it was at how successful the people appeared to be yes there was poor that I'd never seen before. But there was, in my opinion, a huge middle class that is, I would say, lower than American middle class. But they lived fairly well. Uh, in the last five years before we arrived, more and more people were buying cars that had never owned cars before. And so it was a country who I knew the statistics of. And it was considered, uh, having been only in the last 30 years developed, it was considered the Chilean miracle. So unemployment was below 5%. There was opportunity everywhere. Uh, I felt very, very safe. The corruption was very, very low, and there was nothing but up for Chile. Okay, and what year was this? We left in 2012. Wow. So actually okay. I had followed the economic freedom index 
And in the five years before 2012, before we left, Chile was the only country in the world that was consistently moving up in the ranks of economically most free countries in the world. And it was at seventh position. And the United States was at 14th when we decided wow. to leave. So I felt pretty confident that we had chosen the right country. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you get there, you know all these things. I mean, you're... No, we don't know anything. <laughs> no, I mean, but you, you're, you're knowing all these things because you're talking about what you're doing. Right. Um, your homeschool mom, we applaud that very much. We encourage that here on Sons of Liberty. And um, you're seeing that there's prosperity. You're seeing that there's opportunity for people. Um, you're seeing, obviously, the mix of these different, what they call classes yes. of people. And I think what some people don't understand about that is there's always people moving in and out of those classes anyway. Yeah. You know, people who have a lot of money lose the money. People who don't have any earn money. They do well. All these kinds of things. So it's not like somebody's stuck in one situation all the time. What happens that transforms that? Uh, you go there to so your kids can experience some things, um, learn languages, different cultures, all this other. What happens that it goes from, wow, this, this looks really nice. It's a nice place to have the family and everything. They can learn something. What happens that, that changes, you say literally overnight. Yes. What happens there? Yeah. That was the baffling thing that I did not have preparation for, and it took me weeks, really a minimum of three to five weeks to understand what was actually happening there. So in all this prosperity, first of all, when you were talking about classes, 30 years ago, 70% of the population was considered to be in the poverty range. Up to, until 2000, uh, last year, it was only 7% was considered to be in poverty. So to go from 70 to 77% in 30 years is an economic miracle. So I saw this positiveness about the country. I knew that there were protests going on. I knew that around the time when we arrived, that this, no, actually before we arrived, that the the socialist president that had been in office, Michelle Bachelet, uh, was promoting free higher education. And so the the students were out protesting regularly. They wanted free university. The unions were always protesting. I knew that that was going on, but I didn't really think that there was any real trouble in the country. So then I have to go into what suddenly happened and then work my way backwards of how could this have happened. So what happened was last year on October 18th, the metro subway system was attacked. It's a fairly large system. There were 140 stations and 77 of the stations were attacked, either burnt. It's kind of hard to burn them to the ground, but there were also people in the station smashing and destroying everything in the system and also burning the trains. And this was all very sudden. It happened on a Friday night at about four o'clock, just before everybody gets off work to try to go home, taking the public transportation system, mm. finding themselves that they can't use it because the whole system is under attack. So you got the, the society pretty well under, under in panic and pandemonium at that moment. Then it progressed within the, oh, so at that moment, the, the president wasn't sure what was happening. Obviously it was some type of terrorist attack. He called out a state of emergency and the military came out into the streets. That was one of his first mistakes. And that is because if you know anything about the history of Chile, in 1970, a socialist communist president was elected who very quickly started to implement communistic economics, meaning he nationalized the mining industry, he, uh, nas he 
uh, I could say nationalized the agriculture system, meaning that large landowners mm. were found to be objectionable. And it was everyone's right to own a piece of land to be able to feed themselves. So the land was taken from the rich landowners, given to the people so that they could support themselves. Very kind, good intention. But what happens when you give land to non-farmers to right. farm? They don't know how to farm. And so it only took three years before the country was starving. Mm. But even things as taking people's homes away. So if you had a large home that could house four different families and there were only two of you, you were kicked out and the house was given to four new families. That's what communism and socialism will do when you're trying to bring equality. So all these sound things sound wonderful. The resources of the country were not going to the wealthy investors. Those resources of the copper is what was uh, the re primary resource would then go to the people, the land, they could all farm and, and create their own food. Uh, houses would be fairly uh, distributed amongst all of us. Right. This is the good intention. But the reality of it was within three years, the country was in starvation mode. And so there was a coup d'etat, uh, helped and assisted by the CIA to take out the communist president. And then they were forced into a military dictatorship. So that happened in 1973. It became a military dictatorship and General Pinochet became the president. It was not his will for power, but the will to eliminate communism. It was a bloody battle for a while. There were 3,000 people killed. There were tens of thousands of families that were chased out of Chile. Mm. So if you were identified as a communist, they knocked on your door and said, we have identified you as a communist. You have 24 hours for you and your family to leave, or we will come and put you in jail. So there were tens of thousands of families that were chased out of the country. There were tens of thousands of people who were tortured to find out who the communists were. So this overturn was not a pleasant revolution, but I thought from their history that they had successfully eliminated communism. They didn't, they suppressed it. And those people that were chased out were pretty angry and pissed. And so they were seething for many years and waiting to come back and to take power. So I would say over the last 30 years, they've been feverishly working throughout, throughout the university system, brainwashing the young people about the evils of capitalism. I wasn't a part of that. I didn't see that because I wasn't at the universities. But suddenly on October 18th, with all this prosperity, the talk was uh, against, they call it neoliberalism, which is basically the same thing as capitalism. Mm. So it was a sudden revolt against capitalism. The capitalism was the fault of all of their woes. I'm looking around thinking, mm. I'm not sure what the woes are. This is a pretty successful country, if you ask me, in yeah. comparison to where it was 30 years earlier. Sure. And the thing that scared me the most was that this seemed to come out of nowhere. But eight days after this civil unrest broke out there was a protest where nearly one million people showed up for with every complaint in the world that they had about their lives that was wrong so the homosexual agenda the free education uh, the toll road private toll roads should be nationalized it's unfair to charge people for private roads um, the private retirement system which was the pride and joy all around the world that Chile was one of the first countries who ever implemented the fact that if you put money into your retirement account, it's actually your money that you get to take when you're retired. Hmm. They were objecting to that system. And so all of these things that I thought made Chile a great place 
a million people were out in the street protesting against. So it was pretty shocking for me. But the most important shocking thing that I heard that day was that they wanted a new constitution. And I asked all these people what was wrong with their constitution. And the only answer that was ever given was it was written under the military dictatorship. So I did my research and I found out that that constitution after the military dictator left had been amended 200 or more times to get rid of all those objectionable things. And in 2005, the socialist president at that time and the Congress agreed that they had eliminated everything objectionable and that they would accept this constitution as acceptable and it was re-signed as though it was a new constitution. So since 2005, nothing had been spoken about a new constitution. But suddenly when these million people come out in the streets, there was calls for a new constitution. And I was shocked that nobody could answer me what was wrong, except that it was written under a military dictatorship and we need a new constitution. So the president finally, after six weeks of horrific violence and damaging, over $2 billion in damages, the public transportation system, I would say probably 50% absolutely crippled. They tore down the traffic signals all throughout the city, tying up traffic completely. It was mm. just about impossible to move around to get to your work, to do get anything done. The stores were under attack and being looted. 30% of all grocery stores were destroyed within the first few weeks. 80% of the Walmart stores were completely looted and or burnt or destroyed mm. in some way. So at this point, the president was desperate to appease them, and he agreed for a referendum, a public referendum, for the people to choose whether they wanted a new constitution. I knew what that meant. Let me, let me, let me ask a quick question. Yeah. By the way, the table is a little flimsy there, so we're touching it. Oh, it gets sorry. A little, it's sorry. okay. It's, it's, I know you don't know because <laughs> yeah. you're not saying it. Yeah. Um, you're, you're saying all this is happening. Are these young people who are doing all this this uh, damage? Is it is it very similar to what we see on the cameras? And usually, it's in a very small. Um, when I was when I had my interview with uh, Gia Griffin, he was saying, you know, you see it through the lens of television. It's this small area with a small number of people who are doing things, but when you pan out everywhere else, nobody's doing that. Yeah. Is that the same what you were seeing there or yes. was it larger? So exactly like we're hearing here, there was always spoken about the peaceful protesters. Yes, the masses of the people were peacefully protesting, sure. but always on the outside edges were the troublemakers who the were doing The paid provocateurs, is that what it is? Yes, I would say I would say likely a small percentage of them were paid provocateurs. But I want to say most of those that were doing the damage, I don't think were being paid. I have to say this, I really believe that it's in the male young man gene to want to go out and, and revolt and have a purpose a cause yeah. and to do damage and so i don't think that, that the majority of them were getting any benefit out of than their own personal joy from participating in writing history is what they probably yeah. thought they were doing well we've seen some of that i remember reading um the guy from uh, gosh i'm drawing a blank here um What's the guy Brown? His last name was Brown. No relation to me, but he he was the the soldier of fortune, and had went down into Cuba to help with things that he thought was a certain certain you know revolution that was going to bring good things. And then when they get in power, it's like oh no, that was that was the wrong move to do. Yes. So I get it, and I know at the Sons of Liberty, what what our passion is, we see our purpose as doing everything for the glory of God. So yeah, we're at war. 
it's not necessarily with carnal things. Usually, it's it's the issue of, of arguments. Ideas. Uh, and pre- right. Exactly. Yeah. But now, when you're up against these people, uh, if they're if they're a Marxist in some way, you are at a war with ideas. And what Mr. Griffin was saying is that's fine with those guys. It's the Marxist Leninists that say, well, we'll give you ideas, but we're more interested in getting power. And that's where the real problems come in because when you they say when you get the power, then that's where you pretty much shut down any debate and you just blow through that. Okay, so this comes this comes on the scene. Um, what happens after this when they start messing up the the traffic lights and things like that? What happens after that? Well, let me add to what you just said. Okay. So I didn't really a hundred percent understand what this was about until one day the fight came to my neighborhood. I lived uh, a block and a half, two blocks away from the tallest building in all of Latin America, and there's a beautiful six-story mall inside of that also. And several times that mall was under attack or the building was under attack. Why? Because that's the image and the perfect symbol of capitalism. So if they could burn down that 72-story tower and get pictures of that, that would be the perfect symbolism of, of, of the elimination of capitalism. So because it was in my neighborhood and the only store that I could walk to, and I didn't have a car, I used the public transportation system, I got pretty ticked off and the mama bear came out in me. So I went out to defend my neighborhood and walked over to where I knew they were, they were getting everybody together to fight the police and to attack this building. And I got in front of the agitators in between them and the police and found the loudest mouth agitator and went up to him and said, what do you think you're going to accomplish by burning this building down and the rest of your city? And he said, lady, you don't get it. And I said, what don't I get? He said, this is revolution. We got to burn it down in order to rebuild it. And that's when I knew that this was communist, a communist revolution. And I just backed out. There was nothing I could, I couldn't fight those ideas. Their, their only way of doing it is by burning everything down to rebuild it. Yeah. So what ends up happening in that? Uh, do, you, do you continue to stay there? Do, um, are there people who actually do fight against these people? Uh, or do you get your family together and get out of there? Great question. I knew what was going to happen once the president agreed to a vote for a new constitution. I knew the Chilean people well enough to know that they didn't understand the threat against them. They didn't understand what this was about, and they didn't understand how they would use the Constitution. How did I know? First of all, my background with the Birch Society, I understood that. But more importantly, I asked my Venezuelan friends, why did I have so many Venezuelan friends in Chile? Because they had already lost their country. Mm. They had come to Chile because there were no jobs. There was no way to support yourself in Venezuela. So they leave the country to work to send money back to their family members in Venezuela. I asked them, what do you think is going on? And they said, oh, Leah, this is exactly how they got us. But you know what? We were the protesters. We believed all this. We voted for Chavez. We voted for a new constitution. We were the ones in the street fighting with the police. We thought we knew what we were doing. And we caused this. We brought this upon ourselves. Yeah. We fell for this. And so I asked them, what are you going to do about it? Because this is now your second country yeah, that you've sure. moved to, that you've reinvested your whole life in. And they said, well, we're trying to warn the Chileans. And I said, what are the Chileans? How are they responding? And they said, they're responding the exact same way we responded to the Cubans who came and warned oh, this us. Is, this is for our good, right? <laughs> right. That would never happen to us. 
And so what I'm trying to show people with this story is we're seeing the same thing happening here in the United States. Are we going to be so ignorant to say, oh, that would never happen to us? Oh, they're saying it now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they've been saying it for years. Right. Well, let me ask you something because I'm just kind of curious. What is the difference? Or do you see some similar? Because I don't know what the Chile Constitution is. Is there any similarities at all to the U.S. Constitution? Um, is there recognizing of a, a creator in some form, like we have the Declaration of Independence, that our creator gives us rights? Um, we, you know, there would be the biblical teaching that we have rights so that we can perform our duties to glorify God and whatever we do. How is the is the how is the Constitution different down there than it is here? That's a good question because it was actually copied after the American Constitution, but not completely. It was more in the structure of the government. I am no expert on the Chilean Constitution, so I'm not great at answering that. I don't think it was founded on those foundational principles that okay. you were just mentioning. So I think it was more the structure of the government and rights. So but like a I, Republican form of government yes, kind of deal? Yes, okay. so very similar to our government. So I asked my Venezuelan friends, how did they take you down? And they said, simple. All, one of the primary things that they did was to eliminate the supermajority, two-thirds majority or 66% or that has to, to get things. That's undemocratic. That's not fair, right? right? The majority should be able to speak. So what communists want is all we need is 51% and we win. This is why they want a popular vote and eliminate the electoral college on the president level. Exactly. And I'm assuming because that's they, what they want in like Senate and stuff like that as well, yes, right? Yes, yes, okay. exactly. So there's simple things that they can do to change a constitution that destroys a country. Sure. And so I'm trying to warn everybody what it comes down to. So you ask this question of what happens next. They will have, so they did have the election just a few weeks ago, October 25th, to decide if they wanted a new constitution. 79% of the population voted to have a new constitution written. Worse than that, they didn't want politicians to write it. They wanted people, normal people to write it. Worse than that, they want to make sure that it's fair and just, and so 50% of the writers must be women who write the constitution. Yes. So I, I say best man wins, best man or woman, <laughs> but I don't think it needs to be 50-50. I mean, if there's more women who should be writing the Constitution, then let that be. But 50-50 is not a useful, useful strategy. Sure. Anyhow, what I think will happen, so they'll spend the next, they have until April, they have an election for who will do the writing of the Constitution. I fear who will be at the table. You and I know that that's the danger. Yep. Who will be at the table? And you know that the left and socialist communist movement will heavily be represented in the fight there. In my own personal opinion, out of that, we know that only 20% of the country recognized that there was a danger in rewriting that constitution. So if there's only 20% who even understood that, what percentage of those people will be at the table to rewrite that constitution? So I think we're facing the same thing. What percentage of Americans, if it came down to a vote, whether we wanted a new constitution or not, and the media has done its job like they're doing on us with the virus, mm. if they tell us for four to six or eight months about how bad our constitution is, that it was written by slave owners, and it was written for muskets and not semiotic weapons, and if the electoral college is very undemocratic, of which we are not a That's democracy, right. if they tell us all these things, what percentage of the people who listen to that propaganda are going to believe it and would willingly vote 
and believe that our constitution is outdated and it needs to be updated to our current times. What percentage of Americans would Oh, vote there's going to be a high percentage. In fact, when you couple that with something like um, the education system now, where they're not being taught the Constitution, you don't have any idea of what the founding fathers... And look, I would, I'm a good old Southern boy. I would have been an anti-federalist. I just would have. I, I told my son, he's asking me, I said, I think the best thing to do for America right now is to get rid of D.C. completely and let the states... <laughs> it's a lot easier to control things that way than the mess that we're in. Uh, but we're in this situation, and I, I, you know, you we mentioned that you're you're here for the John Burt Society. You mentioned this thing with the Constitution. I know the John Burt Society is very much like I am, because I'm a Burt guy too. And so I know that uh, the, the 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 fight is against what's happening in this country, and that is convention of states, guys. They're huckstering out. They're saying, oh, it's not a constitutional convention. We just want some amendments. It's easy to control. And the first thing I pointed out to people is uh, the guy who, who led that uh, didn't used to talk like that. When he first came out, he had a website called ConConCon.org, and he was pushing it as a constitutional convention. He was saying that. Yeah. Then when people started calling him out, he, he's a marketer. He did multi-level marketing and stuff. He changed it to convention of states. And then he pissed it off. Well, we've never done this before. But we have done it before. We did it with the Articles of Confederation. Right. Even our founding fathers said, we really don't have this authority, but we need to do it. And instead of unanimity of all 13 states to amend that, we went to three-fourths, which is Article 7 of our current Constitution. Do you see any problem if, if the people take that bait, that they'll switch and they'll say, well, all we need is 26 to get this new constitution, we know they've, they, they have at least two other constitutions that's fully written. And people say, no, we can control it because of the three-fourths thing. But they couldn't control it in the first one, could exactly. they? You want to speak to that? No, you covered it okay. perfectly. Okay. If they didn't follow the rules that first time, if, what people, makes you don't, do it this? if people don't acknowledge that they have limited authority, yep. that's the issue, right? Yep. They had limited authority and they went outside the bounds then. Thankfully, it was for the betterment of our country, I think. I don't know. There were certain aspects of the Constitution that were improved over the Articles of Confederation, mm -hmm. could be debated. But they didn't follow their, or they didn't respect their limited authority at that time. Yeah. What makes you think that they're going to follow their limited authority now? Yeah, and who, who today would have any kind of wisdom from the experience they had just come through under the tyranny to say, you know, to sit back and have these debates and these written arguments and stuff. And, I, you know, I do find even within um, some of what we know in history that even, you know, the guys who wrote the Constitution, they're meeting behind closed doors. They don't let any of the media in. They're, they're kind of doing it all in secret when they're doing it before they bring it out. Yes. And um, I, I just, I don't see, I don't see any transparency there. And like what you said, maybe there, maybe there's some wise. I, I, I always say it's a man-made document. It's not inspired of God like the scriptures. And so if it's, if it, since it is, and they recognize it could be amended, if it's amended, it needs to conform to what God has given us for government. And that's always to protect liberty and it's to bring justice on the guilty. Well, now we're letting the guilty go. We're not, we're not bringing any justice. And who's suffering for that? Well, the people are suffering. In the land of the free, we have the most imprisoned people of the world. Now, how does that get, does that happen? You, you mentioned the stuff that came through with Chile. 
Did you see some of that transpire too? Did you see if you, you were talking about you saw free people start being run out of the country or thrown in jail, right? Not the free people. The communists okay. were run out. Okay, yeah. I got you. I got you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure what your question was now. Well, I, I was I was saying, do you kind of see that as a transition into what they're in? Um, part of the problem that, um, and maybe I'm, I apologize, I'm having a several thoughts going in my head yeah. at once because you mentioned the CIA going in there, yeah. which we we tend to mess up all kinds of stuff when we stick our nose in, no matter what it is. Yeah. And uh, I think we need to stop doing that. So they go in the, to flesh out the communists, and now you've got this this new constitution coming. Do you think it's going to revert back to the other way, and you're going to see this tremendous uh, persecution, if you will? Uh, because this is what communists do. They're taking people's stuff. Um, they're beating them up. They're killing them. They're putting them in slave labor camps or whatever the case may be. And uh, I think America's really right for that because we've been enduring a prison system, which I think is immoral in the first place. I think it's very socialistic because we don't render justice to the person. In fact, we take the person and we say, we're going to take the victim's family that you harmed. We're going to make them pay taxes to keep you up for the rest of your life. So, you know, and the, I think the Bible gives us very clear, distinct, just punishments for violating just laws. And then we make up laws that aren't just, and we put people in prison who shouldn't be you know, you know, uh, reprimanded or, or any of that stuff in the first place. So what do you see happening in, in Chile, if you want to speak to that first, mm -hmm. and then can you bring it over into what you see here in America? Yes, very much so. Um, what I see coming from this is that the Constitution that will be written will be very flawed. I think a people get the government that they deserve. And only a good and moral and religious society deserves freedom. That's not my words, the founding fathers' sure. words. And are we a good and moral and well-educated society anymore? No, we're not. And if those are the people who are going to be write, writing the Constitution, there will be great evil sitting at the table attempting to get what they want out of this Constitution. Mm. So I don't think it will be any better. I think it will be much worse than what they had. But then it has to go up for a vote by the people whether they want it or not. Now, after three years of total turmoil, chaos, $2 billion in losses of property and great suffering for the population in order to make things better, do you think that they would have the courage to vote no and to go back to what we had mm. and have to start all over again? Mm -hmm. Or will they justify their voting for something worse at least we did something. And so that's why I don't give any hope to Chile. I don't think that this constitution will make anything better. I think people are looking for a magic wand that if you can somehow put things on paper, you'll get everything that you want. Well, first of all, our constitution is good and was good, but we don't adhere to it. That's the problem. Not what's in our constitution. Mm. It's not what was in the Chilean constitution because I asked over and over, what specifically is wrong? And no one could give me a single amend, uh, 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 article that was objectionable. It was just the fact that it was written under a dictator. So that's how easy you can lead a people. So I think here in the United States, too, it would be very, very easy with the help of the media to tell people how outdated our constitution mm. really is and how undemocratic it, it is. Now. We've already been brainwashed that it's undemocratic as though democracy is a good thing, and yeah. you and I know that it's sure. not. 
And so we're already terribly brainwashed. We've been robbed of our understanding of the Constitution, of proper civics. We've been robbed of this for the last 50 years. So we are an extremely weakened state. So what do you think will happen if the media starts working against us and working, uh, works on the project of uh, wanting a new Constitution and then a weak pop population? Are they capable of defending it or not? At this point, I would say we're in serious trouble. I think right now we're at a 50 or 60 percent issue right now here in the country. So I think it's still savable. But I knew Chile was at the 80%, 80-20%, but only 20% could fight and defend it and even wanted what the good from it. And the other 80% was too ignorant to even know what the Constitution even said. And we're just operating out of wishful thinking that if we just write it down on paper, we get everything that we want. So I think it's winnable still here in the United States. And I'm ready to fight until the end for our constitution that, that has kept us for longer than almost any other constitution in the history of the world mm. kept us and gave us this liberty that we know so well. So I my solution right now is we better get busy and we better reach out and educate people quickly that our constitution is not outdated. It will never be outdated. It was based on 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 human uh, human activity this is human nature they understood human nature this was not about times or periods human nature doesn't change yeah. and our founding fathers very very wisely understood human nature and how to control and limit power so that we couldn't destroy each other and we've gotten farther and farther away from that but if we don't restore the understanding of the foundational principles of liberty and of the constitution and of limiting the controlling power then we're in we're going to be in deep trouble but i see us coming under attack very quickly and the question is are there enough of us that understand these principles and if there aren't then we deserve the government that we're going to get well let me let me let me hit on just that just a minute and get your your input on it i think it was thomas jefferson who said if people can't expect to be ignorant and free at the same time and I, I recognize that every time somebody gets up there, we, we saw it with uh, Donald Trump. I don't think, and it's not to pick on him. I think there are presidents, plenty of them before him, they don't know the Constitution. Representatives go into office, they don't know the Constitution. Absolutely. Senators go into office, they don't know the Constitution. The governors, the mayors, whoever, all of them take an, take an oath that they're going to uphold that. Mm -hmm. And that Constitution doesn't limit you and I. It limits them. Right, right. And so, you know, I've often said... If you if you if you taught your kids the Constitution, and you went to one of these rallies and they're asking for a vote, you say, "Well, would you mind coming over here and just give me the first ten amendments to the Bill of Rights?" And if they can't do that, they're not qualified to be in office. Yes, I'll I'll simplify it even more. Okay, go ahead. What is the limitation of power? That's what the Constitution says. Exactly. The the Constitution enshrines that power is dangerous and it must be limited and it must be checked and it must be brought into balance so that no one had more power over the other. Right. So so then that leads to this question. Under our Constitution, who is to enforce that check? Right. The people are. Right. Everybody thinks that Donald Trump is going to solve this or that you know, if we just get the big red wave, yeah. they'll say, well, we've done that plenty of times and yeah. we're, it, we keep going in the same direction towards the same No, agenda. worse than that, we're okay. begging for power. We yes. want our side to win. Exactly. Rah, rah, red. Rah, rah, that's blue. A, that's great. Yep. Yeah. 
So worse than that. So that's how badly educated that we are. Yeah. We should say we should we should have no reason to fear a president. A president doesn't have the authority to do that. Exactly. And he can't do that. Well, and we we've talked about that on the show um, because we've we've been consistent to point back to the law, uh, the Constitution, and to the Bible. That's the standard by which you see if somebody's you know on the straight and narrow. And uh, as soon as you do that, you see the propaganda that's going to people's minds. Well, you must support Biden. Well, no, we don't support those guys either. Yeah. You know, it is possible not to support either one because they're both violators of the Constitution. One just has got their mask off and telling you they're doing it. Yeah. The other one's saying, no, 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 this is constitutional while they don't know the first thing of whether it is or not. So I think that is a dangerous thing. So when, we, when we're at right now, you, I think you hit it. Um, and we've we've made mention of this before because you'll hear like in a Black Panther kind of thing, they'll say, you know, black power. Well, then you'll hear the, the other guys, they get offended at that uh, because, you know, they see some problems there. And you say white power is just as bad as black power. The issue is not the, the that's the, the ditch everybody falls into is that power struggle. So what do you see as needing to be done here in the States? You've been you've been here. You moved to Chile. You, you saw what went on there. So you, you've got a really good understanding. You were living with people who were who had uh, had that done in their country, and they were living there now, and they're seeing it again. Now you come back to the States. You're seeing it start to brew up here. Mm-hmm. What are the things that you put forth? Because you mentioned uh, John Adams, Constitutions for a Religious and Immortal People. And I don't think he had the idea of religious Islam or I don't even think Judaism. I think it was Christianity. I think that's that's the blanket. Christian values. Yeah. yeah. What what was put there? And if we don't have that, how are we going to enforce the Constitution? What 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 is your suggestion that people need to to be about doing uh, in order to to uphold our society? And I'm not saying uphold the immoral parts of our society. I'm talking about the parts that are. Well, moral. I think more. I think morality is an issue as part of this. Yeah. I think there is no shortcut. There's no quick fix. If we are not a moral and religious and well-educated society, we don't deserve freedom. Mm. So what is the solution? To educate our fellow man on these principles. First, to educate ourselves. So this has always been the goal of the Birch Society. Is you have to know yourself, yep. know who we are. What is, it to, what is it to be an American? What made us the country, the envy of the world that everyone wanted to come to? that everybody put on a pedestal as being the place that they wanted to live because of all the great things about America. What, how did we get there? This was the problem with Chile. They didn't know how they got to success. We've lost that too. We don't know that either. You and I know that, but the mass majority sure. around us don't know that. So number one, know the good about us. But number two, also know what is evil? What is it against us? What wants to take us down? What would like to see us destroyed and be able to identify it? So it takes education, and so that is what the Birch Society is all about, is providing education first for ourselves and then give us the tools so that we can help educate other people. Everybody's looking to have the quick fix. If we only could do this, if we just did that, and that's not true. It comes down to all the foundational principles. We have to be good people if we want good government, if we want government to understand its limitations then we have to raise up good people and be good people ourselves. Well, I think, I, and I, I, I want to end on that because I think that's that's where we drive things is 
then how do how do people be good? You you guys are talking about um, you know man's temptation with power and things. How, how do you know what is evil? How do you know what is good? Um, well, the only way I know that you really see that is in is your Creator tells you in the Scriptures. And you know, in the states, they used to have religious test oaths, and you had to be a Christian. To hold on, you didn't have to be a Christian to live in the in the area, but you did have to have that to to be in there. And it was a simple thing. It was you know you acknowledged the Old New Testament were given by God, and you basically affirmed the doctrine of the Trinity that that Christ was the Savior of the world. Um, so you had that to be in office. That's the only way I know that you can you can really define good and evil outside of yourself. Otherwise. We know what our temptation is. Well, it was just a little white lie. Well, it was just a look, a glance for a moment, just a bit of lust. It wasn't. And I think that was something that was going on for hundreds of years before the Constitution came around. There were preachers that that preached the morality that God gave in the Bible. And so the people were inundated with it. Even somebody like Thomas Paine, who was not very religious, but he even even got into it with some people because... You can't, as Ron Paul said, you can't unhear what you hear. Yeah. So I, I think that that's a that's a big thing, and it is something that's progressing. You mentioned home, your homeschooling mom. Um, my wife and I have ten kids. We we homeschool, and I encourage that with other people. And I point back to the scriptures. Deuteronomy six says that first of all, His commands are be in our hearts, and then we're to teach them diligently to our kids. And He talks about all these times. And it's like, well, you can't really do that if you're sending your kids off to the public indoctrination centers for eight mm-hmm. years. So Again, those are long-term things, aren't they? Yes. Now, we're seeing, I got some numbers, and I'll let you have the last word. I got some numbers from a friend of mine, E. Ray Moore, in, in my uh, my neck of the woods here mm-hmm. in South Carolina. And uh, he was saying there were mil- there were four or five million families that had decided they were not sending their kids back to school after this whole COVID scam, which is great. Mm-hmm. But if they are teaching them the same garbage that they're getting in the public schools, it's not so great. But... I got to say, it's better that at least they're with mom and dad. I can, because somewhere along the way, if mom and dad have good morals, good values, the kids likely will. They will likely pick that up, um, you know, if if they're doing it from from the scriptures. So, would you encourage people in that in that realm uh, towards homeschool? Really considering that, especially in light of the things they're in. Many of them are already having to change all kinds of stuff up. Why not just go with it? Aren't your kids worth it to do that? more than the $100 cable bill that you're going to pay or that brand new car that you want or the big addition that you want on your house. Would, what would you say to those people to say, look, we may have a short time or we may have 10 or 20 years before this stuff gets really bad. How would you encourage people in that? Number one, like you said, homeschool, pull your kids out, including grandparents. I want to say that if your kids are not capable of homeschooling due to financial issues or whatever else, and you're a grandparent, please homeschool your grandkids, but pull them out of the indoctrination. And for those who say, I don't have the confidence, I wouldn't know what to do. None of us had a manual as a parent, so we had no idea what we were doing as a parent. You just do the best job you can. And I have to say, it took me honestly five years to break free of my brainwashing from the education system to even feel comfortable shattering my mold of what education was. took me five years. So it was only after five years that I felt like I had shed the brainwashing that had been done on me to free my children and to have a free idea and a new idea of what education was, that it is not taking knowledge and putting it in their heads. 
but it is a seeking of understanding and the seeking for truth that I allowed them to more freely do mm. and not that I became the indoctrinator. Yeah. Well, and the, and the scripture tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and it's also the beginning of wisdom because if you get just knowledge, you get puffed up. Mm. But if, you, if you're able to gain knowledge and incorporate wisdom from that, that's something to be applauded. And uh, I think we all would like for our kids to be um, those who are not only knowledgeable, but wise with what they do. And so I uh, appreciate what you have to say. Thank you for taking time with us uh, to be with us. And um, we'll be airing this sometime here very soon. Uh, I'm kind of filled up with days, so I'm probably going to put this in and some different shows. But uh, I think it's good that we've had your perspective uh, today. So we appreciate you joining us. Lee. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Okay, all right, that was Leah Southwell uh, watching a lot of the commentary in the chat room um, here, and I hope you guys listening by radio learned something from that from a, from a perspective that came, that, you know, from an American who was in a different country, who saw what was going on, and then sees what is going on today. And guys, I'm telling you, if you did not hear the... Um, Interview I had with G. Edward Griffin. I'm going to have it in the archives later today at sonsoflibertymedia.com. And one of the things, the title is U.S. Citizen, I Saw the Socialist Revolution Beginning in Chile. Uh, Now it's happening here in the U.S. Look for that title at sonsoflibertymedia.com. And that will be in there as well so that you you can listen to the two together because I think what it will do... For those who have ears to hear, eyes to see, you're going to see exactly what it is. Now, um, just to respond to a friend who made a comment about, you know, how how do you know that the scriptures are, you know, this thing that's from God? And, you know, it was men writing. Well, Peter tells us in Second Peter one twenty one, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And all of those prophecies that came, Jesus said it himself in Luke um, twenty eight. Uh, he said, look, all of those things that were, excuse me, Luke 24, <laughs> all of those things that were spoken of in the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets, they speak about me. Those things were written hundreds and more than a thousand years before he came, pointing to the Christ, the Savior of all mankind. And some of those things were recorded that that were recorded happened thousands of years before that. So, uh, look. I, I'm not here to try to convince you. I, I'm giving you what the Scripture says. I believe the Word of God is powerful in and of itself, and uh, it's it's God's job to to change your heart to believe that. Not you know not mine. I'm here to disciple. That's what I do. But quickly before we go, if you would like to support the Sons of Liberty, please go to sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can make a donation if you so choose to do so. Here's the donate button. Click that. You can make a one-time donation. Or if you want to join with us as a son or daughter of liberty, and you can donate monthly. You set up a, uh, an amount you want to do that. Again, we don't have our hand out for money, but we do let you know we have needs. If you want to do that, we'd appreciate that. And then don't forget, scroll down just a little bit further. And right here, you have an email address. Please Get on our email um, newsletter. We send out one thing, one time a day. We don't rent it out. We don't sell it to anybody or anything like that. We just keep you informed about what we got going on on sonsoflibertymedia.com. All right, guys, 8 a.m. tomorrow, Eastern Time. Lord willing, we'll be back with you. Kate Shimarani will join me then. Till then, see ya.